I'd like to begin with a trigger warning. This is completely, utterly mad. You're gone. And part of this is because I'm I am too cheap to pay for uh, Zoom subscription. And so as a result of that, we have a time cap on this conversation because it's three-way. You can go as long as you want with two people, but because it's three-way, it's it's going to be capped in time. So we're just going to dive immediately into the conversation, and I want to introduce my two guests this week, uh, Nathan McPherson. Now, Nathan, you and I went back and forth a long time ago on me trying to pronounce that name correctly in a commercial, and I'm sure I still did it wrong, which is just a betrayal on my part, I think. But oh, did, uh, did I say it right, McPherson, or was I close? You, you were right, McPherson. McPherson, because exactly. I know I was saying like Thank McPherson, you. and I was I was all over the place. Nathan McPherson, yeah. uh, beatirs.org. If you're an old raw listener, you're going to remember the commercials for his work as an attorney to help those who have issues with, well, the IRS uh, and would like to, well, fight back a little bit. So Nathan's my guest. I'm going to ask him to tell you about himself in just a moment. And then also with me today is Sherry Jackson, and she is a consultant with SP Jackson Consulting. Kind of in a similar corner of the world in terms of of history, uh, CPA, certified fraud examiner, and a former IRS agent as well, which I definitely am curious about. Um, but she works now helping Christians and churches try to understand better the role in which their tax accountability plays in their life together as an organization and as people and as as citizens in the country. So they're both here today to talk just kind of. Christians and money a little bit in general. We'll see where that goes. But I, I want to start by saying thank you for just hanging out with me today. And then uh, I'll start with Nathan because we got the history together. Um, if you just tell a little bit more about yourself and why do you care about this topic? Why do you do what you do? Um, uh, all that kind of thing. Yes. Uh, well, I'm a second generation tax defense attorney. My father started the firm uh, just before I was born in, in 1978. I was born in 1979. And in fact, the, the month I was born, he tried, I believe, three cases back to back in Anchorage, Alaska and Fairbanks and won all of them that was defending people against the IRS. And so that kind of took up. I grew up in the practice. I also grew up in the Lutheran Church, attended a Wells grade school, was confirmed uh, in, it was in 1993, uh, spring of 93, and uh, have since uh, joined the LCMS, which is where I met you. And so I'm also a lifelong Lutheran. Uh, the the business is the McPherson Group, tax defense attorneys, beatirs.com, like you said before. Uh, my brother also works with me. And while well, I have two brothers, and one of whom is a history department chair at Beth Lutheran College, which is ELS Synod. And uh, he even consults with us on, on different cases. My oldest brother is an attorney with us. So it's a family practice. I uh, grew up in it, defending people. Uh, against bad government. You know, my dad is a West Point graduate, Vietnam veteran, and he came back from Vietnam and somebody contacted him about an IRS problem and he tried to find local counsel and everybody said, I don't want to be audited. I'm not going to represent this person. Hmm. He thought, you know, I had people shooting at me for 18 months and I'm going to be back in America afraid of my own government. I don't think so. Uh, and so I kind of grew up with that mentality. 
that we shouldn't be afraid of our government and you don't have to. And talking about bad government, I think is is that's another curiosity of mine uh, from a Christian point of view, because I believe in one way they're all going to go bad eventually. And then, and so how do you, as a Christian with virtue and truth, stand and live underneath, say, a tyrant uh, and, and whatnot? So, uh, but first, uh, Sherry, again, uh, welcome, and tell us a little bit more about yourself, and feel free to talk as long as you want about what it's like to work for the IRS, because I think. Most people are just about as curious as I am about that. Yeah, thank you for having me. I um, was a certified public accountant. Now I'm retired from that. And I was a certified fraud examiner and retired from that. And of course, I'm retired from the IRS. I was an agent for seven and a half years back in the 80s and 90s. And it was very interesting. At first, you think that you're doing your duty for the government. And then you start seeing things. You start seeing that we're actually from my standpoint, enslaved, because mm. uh, if you steal 100% of the product of someone's labor, it's slavery. At what percentage is it not slavery? Mm. So I started speaking out about that. And that's what got them angry at me. Um, I wasn't an agent. So that meant that I went out to audit small businesses and medium sized businesses at that point. And for the last two and a half years of my stint at the IRS, I audited ministers. I was in charge of, for Georgia, at least something that was loosely called a preacher project. Uh, you might find it interesting to know that the number one reason that pastors are audited is because people rat on them. They get angry with the pastor and they'll call the IRS anonymously or they'll send in a letter. And these letters or these phone conversations uh, get written up and the pastor's tax returns are collected from the service center. And they're sent to an agent, which was me at the time, to see if these tax returns were audit worthy. Audit worthy meaning is there something that the person said on the phone or in the letter that would cause the IRS to think that this pastor is not reporting all of the income that he's earning. So I did that for two and a half years before I left. So now I help pastors and churches with those issues and other financial issues because lots of small churches and churches with bivocational pastors you know, they don't have a lot of experience managing a church, especially financially. And you all know that uh, finances can make or break a church. Yeah. And there, there's no question about that ladder, which is why this is important to me. Although, again, your your story becomes even more curious then uh, for, for, I think, reasons that matter to you as well. So the IRS was aware that the primary reason that they would have to go out and, and send an agent to look into this kind of thing with pastors is just because someone is randomly, quote unquote, ratting on them. Um, were they aware of the, um, I guess I would call it the prejudice involved in such a such an accusation? Was that just kind of kind of wrote like, here we go again? Or uh, was this, uh, I don't know, how, how does the IRS handle this kind of thing? I'm assuming it's very, very mathematical and you just look at the numbers and it's right or wrong, right? There shouldn't be bias in the what, reporting or the oh, investigation. Of course there's bias there. Now, in my case, here in Georgia, I don't know what they're doing elsewhere, but at some point, somebody in the IRS discovered that a lot of pastors are receiving what they what they call a love offering hmm. and not thinking that it's taxable. So when, when, when the church raises $4,000 on Sunday and they give the pastor $1,000 in a brown bag after service, they consider that a love offering, a love gift. Well, the IRS considered that taxable. So that's how it really got started. But hmm. along the way, when, when they started, you know, realizing that, hey, a lot of people are angry with certain pastors, 
I was selected because my, my manager knew I was a hardline Christian and that I was not going to be biased. I was, I was going to be fair, whichever way it went. So they, and I actually went through ethics training at the IRS and everything. So they knew that they could depend on me to not be biased either way. And so that's why I did that for, for two and a half years. But no, they, they, in other places, you have, you have a lot of atheists at the IRS. You have a lot of people that don't like the fact that pastors get a housing allowance and they don't like the fact that the church is tax exempt. So yeah, you, you, you definitely have bias there. Now, yeah. Oh, now you, you, the last thing you said was interesting. And so it distracted me from the question I had from 25 seconds ago. That was also interesting. And I've, I've <laughs> lost cause, cause I want to get back to the taxation slavery concept that you mentioned before. Oh, this, this is just what it was. I know that in my seminary training, I was informed, look, Guys, you know, listen up now. Uh, whatever cash you're ever handed as a pastor by anybody who is in any way your parishioner is taxable income. And if you want to be safe from an audit, uh, you report that. And so that that's the practice that we were taught in the Missouri Synod. I don't know that every Lutheran gets taught that. I don't know that every seminary in the Missouri Synod gets taught that. I know that that sounds like pretty good advice so far as what you're saying here goes. But then that pushes us back to – and this is where you're, you're tickling my libertarian uh, philosophical roots here a little bit. You know, The taxation being slavery thing, um, this is certainly not necessarily something I would, I would contend for theologically. Um, but I find it fascinating to think that you're right. The, the, when someone comes and at threat of violence takes what you have grown from the ground or, or earned or made or created or whatever, they just take it away from you. What is the line between that being, you know, your your willing obedience to a higher leader and, uh, well, theft, <laughs> you know, um, and then that's that's the the debate about taxation kind of falls in those circles. So, yeah, what, more thoughts on that. That's really interesting. Hmm. Well, <laughs> I believe it's slavery myself, and and uh, the the thing about the ministers receiving funds. This is how that really works. If I give you a gift, the gift isn't taxable. Hmm. Okay. But if, if one of the elders gets up in the church and says, okay, you know, pastor's birthday is coming up and we want to raise some funds. If the church collectively raises these funds and the people give the money to the church and the church gives the money to the pastor, no. that's taxable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I walk up to you and I say, Pastor Fix, I really enjoy what you're doing. And I give you what we call the Pentecostal handshake. <laughs> and I put a hundred dollar bill in your hand. That's a gift to you. And that's not taxable. Hmm, okay. So around here, when I have to advise the pastors and churches, I say to the people that are in charge of the finances, if you want the pastor to pay tax on this, you get up in front of the congregation and, you know, ask for the money. If you don't want the pastor to be taxed on this, you all talk about it in your individual circles and you have people write checks or give cash to the pastor directly. Huh. That's good to know. I've been reporting Christmas gifts. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> That's good no. to know. Thank you for that advice, Sherry. It's not, it's not going to save me a ton of money every year. It's not like the IRS is living off of my Christmas gifts. But <laughs> but, but, but still, that's, that's really good. good. So then, okay. Where do you and Nathan interface? Like, how does your relationship come together? And to what end do you see the work you're both doing to equip and encourage Christians in these issues um, overlapping? Uh, and then why would that that be valuable to bring to this podcast in this format, Nathan? You know, what what, what is this? Um, what's your goal here? And what do you want people to, to gain all the way through this thing? 
Nathan? Well, uh, for one, uh, my dad wrote the chapter in her book, Sticking It to the IRS, uh, which is about how to use the tax laws to your advantage. Uh, keep good records is probably the number one thing in there that hmm. people yes. learn from yes. that book. Uh, besides then, you know, if you keep good records, you can use all of the different provisions of the tax law. And then uh, I wrote the last chapter in Sherry's more recent book, Church Wealth, Ministry Health, Five Pillars of Ministry Growth and Financial Wellness. And uh, so we've worked together to help clients, uh, both individuals and churches, business owners, et cetera. You know, they run the gamut to, uh, besides getting out of IRS trouble, which takes various facets, um, not get in it to begin with. And in fact, the starting point to get out of trouble with IRS, and it's actually not limited to just the federal internal revenue service, but also state taxation agencies, that the first step is to get organized, keep good records, track your income and your expenses, and look at all of the different provisions in the code that will benefit you. Uh, so that helps you both get out of trouble and stay out of trouble, not get into trouble. Now, for for I can see how across the American Christian landscape, there can be a real mixture of people that would receive that advice in different ways. I think mm-hmm. that your average Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod congregation member and or uh, leadership is going to say, oh, no problem. We've got that covered because in terms of, you know, uh, having a, a treasurer keep receipts, I, I've been in a lot of Missouri Synod congregations and I've I've never seen one that wasn't doing that. I have heard of stories, including the place I serve now, where previously there was a little fewer checks on that than there should have been, and there was a problem. There was, in fact, some uh, a lawsuit that came about because of that. But by and large, you know, keeping records, paying attention to money. I think most of the churches that that would be connected to who are listening to this podcast are like, "Yep, okay, well, well we do that." But I would be wanting to to poke them in the eye a little bit and say, I don't think you think about the the changes in our status as Christians, as citizens, as congregations in tax law in America, in terms of perspective, in terms of agendas that are going on in the public eye, uh, political things that are trying to change and push things in different directions. I think most Missouri State congregations feel pretty safe. It's all going to be fine. It's sort of just – it's not quite let's pray to God and it will work itself out, but it kind of is. And this leads to, to my understanding, a willful ignorance of the, the things you're talking about here. Um, so, so Sherry, would, would you mind responding to that just as a thought? Like how dangerous is it? I mean it's, you're not going to lose your life, right? But, but how much risk is involved for congregations? Let's kind of keep it in that talk when it comes to – tax issues and or, um, oh, no, just kind of a laissez-faire approach to finances. Right. The most dangerous thing that you can do at this point is feel like everything's okay. Um, there's so much going on, like you said, in our culture. There are people and, and, and groups that have agendas against the church and against pastors. So as far as auditing pastors, IRS agents usually got, you know, patted on the back when they would get like a pastor or politician, and especially when it made the newspaper. Uh, It takes just about an act of Congress to audit a church. But the IRS goes in the back door and they audit the pastor. And if they find anything egregious or some negligence or anything going on in the pastor's personal tax return, 
they can write up the chain and audit the church. Now, when I was at the IRS and even a little bit after, there's only two or three times that I've heard of a church actually getting audited. But that was because, let's say, the pastor had a slush fund in the church. He had a special account that was coming straight to him or something like that. But we don't need to you know, sit on our hands and think everything's okay. There are people that don't like authentic Christianity. So even a neighbor of a pastor could write a letter and have the pastor audited or, you know, all kinds of scandals. And then again, uh, we need to make sure that we keep checks on what's going on inside of the church. I've been in situations where um, the, the person is the pastor and his daughter's husband the son-in-law was in charge of the money and everybody mm-hmm. thinks everything's okay and they're sitting on their hands and then it shows up that he's embezzled over a hundred thousand dollars over the last two years so we just have to stay vigilant as the scripture st- says even within the church to make sure to have these cash internal controls to make sure that you know the contributions are properly taken care of things like you know somebody if someone gives some money and it's for something specific it needs to go towards that so we there's so much that we have to keep up with. And so there's no reason to sit on our hands and think everything's okay. We have to keep looking to the left and the right and front and center because in our, in our backs because of these things. So no, don't definitely ne- never think that everything's okay. Keep a check on everything. Have someone in the congregation or on the board of directors that's keeping up with the, the changes and the taxes. Because, you know, for several years, they've been trying to tax the, the contributions. They've been trying to get... Um, the housing allowance taken away. They've been trying to get the church to be taxed and they, there's, there have been bills in place that uh, want, they want to require a church to tell how much money's coming in. So that separation of church and state, which is by the way, not in the constitution, they want to, they want to have advantage of that when they want to. But then now that the governments are broke, they're trying to find a way to get into the coffers of our churches. Yeah, and I and I I've kind of operated with the assumption that those days are probably coming. And call me a dystopian pessimist or perhaps a dystopian op- optimist. I don't know, but I I kind of prepare for the expected in my own mental categories, and I don't expect to die not paying taxes on every cent I make as a pastor in this country. And I I, I don't know. I, we we can argue about about how to fight back against that kind of thing, but I think. I think one of the things you said that perhaps is most important for for my listening audience is going to be uh what you talked about like the the precautions or the points of failure in offering collection and management and conflicts of interest that in a small group where everyone knows each other we might all think no problem but the moment you're dealing with I don't know, the IRS, maybe you should just be a little more careful. And and it's sort of it's, – it's not just about honesty because it is about honesty at the end of the day, but it's about public honesty. It's about how do we not just have to trust each other? How can we prove that we've done this? And you can't run everything in life like this, but when you're running a nonprofit organization that the government approves its nonprofit status, you darn well ought to run it that way. (laughs) You you know, you should treat it like it is what it is. And that's where I think the disconnect is. I think a lot of churches just think of themselves as a group of people that got together and nobody really worries about too much. And and that's uh, that's where the education, I think, is very important. So thoughts, either of you in response to that? Chime in. Yes. Um, a, a couple of thoughts, and I guess I'll start with the one that, you know, as Lutherans, we profess that we are 
Simult Justus and et peccator, if I pronounce that correctly in the Latin, simultaneously saints and sinners. And so we need to not forget that we are still sinners and thus remove opportunities uh, for corruption. And I, I just spoke a few days ago with a Missouri Synod pastor, and he reported uh, when he took a call to a new parish and got there, started reviewing the board minutes and so forth, he discovered some improprieties, had to take it up to the district president, and the entire church council was was let go, as well as the elders. Uh, wow. It looked like there had been some improprieties with, with the money of the church. And uh, But on the other end of the spectrum, uh, as far as the government's concerned, uh, the, the pastor who actually baptized me as an infant, uh, apparently, I'll just put it this way, IRS must not have liked his preaching because they went in and asked for a list of all of the congregants. Uh, and so my father had to defend the church and argue on First Amendment grounds that stifles freedom of association, it has a chilling effect, did did win. And, and the court ordered that the pastor did not have to take over, uh, to turn over a list of all of the congregants. But wow. imagine that, you know, you go to this church down the street and the pastor's on, on fire, so to speak. And all of a sudden the IRS comes in and says to the pastor, we want a list of everybody who has ever donated to the church. Uh, how many people are going to show up next Sunday? <laughs> right. No, that's intense. And you just think yeah. about the implications. I mean, we think not in America, not in America, but well, everywhere else in the world. <laughs> I know. Why not here? Uh, why is it not possible that a government, even if even if it's not all being run by actual Hitler, okay, we we can leave Orange Man bad for another day. Even if it's not all like that that level of total control, uh, like Sherry was saying, one general area supervisor with a beef. And just – they don't have to break any laws. They just have to enforce the laws very carefully and wait for you to slip up. And if, they, if they're looking for you, if they're smelling for you, um, why would they not? Uh, what makes us think that the, that the, uh, that the Philistines – forgive me – but what makes me think that the Philistines these days are, days are just going to love us right, and not take any advantage over us? Uh, we want to love the Philistines. That's our role. But we shouldn't be uh, stupid about it, I guess I would say. Yeah. So, yeah. This was 40 years ago. Reagan was president. Moral majority, and yet this was this is what IRS was doing. Imagine today, right, right. So that so that story with your father was was during Reagan's presidency. Yes. Wow. Yeah, I know that is crazy to think about. Man alive. Who knows? And this 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 is what makes me excited to be who I am at this point in history. Uh, nobody. <laughs> uh, it, it makes me really excited to be. Uh, Free and a Christian and alive, uh, raised from the dead in Jesus, unabashedly a monarchist in regards to the greater kingdom, uh, and and in that way, just free to to love America's history for what it is. Like I mentioned, my libertarian roots in my own head, at least, right? I love my rights. I love my First Amendment. To be that and yet not have my hopes hinge on it so that when I see things as scary as this stuff is, I can fight with it. With the hope I bring from the better kingdom, from that better land, uh, and then for the sake of my family, my neighbors, my friends, gird up and do what needs to be done here. So yeah, we're not fighting Philistines with swords these days, uh, but the pen has been a mighty thing, and the pen and the what, – what do we call it now? The It's not the transaction code. The books. Mm. The books. Uh, the books that got to be kept, that is a mighty thing, and uh, to use it historically – I mean I, I could shift the conversation here a different direction, but – I'm always a little frustrated by how little 
Missouri Synod Lutheran congregations, as a general rule of thumb, achieve as nonprofit organizations. And I think it's precisely the same issue that they don't think about themselves in that sphere. And so uh, they, they kind of limit themselves to the local German clubs. And it's not always German. It's not German at all necessarily, but you know, the lo- local cultural clubs gathering and the more that they could embrace their role as a nonprofit entity in the in the wild west we're in right now, the more cool stuff they could do because they have some some powers financially if they wanted to because of that status they've been given. I don't know any thoughts right. on any of that. That was a lot of stuff. So yeah, well, thinking of small stuff versus versus larger stuff, a lot of the churches that I'm dealing with right now are opening up what what's called CDCs, community development companies. Now. There's grant money out there, lots of it, but these uh, people don't like to give to churches. So what the churches are doing is they'll open up a, a separate nonprofit, which is a community development corporation specifically geared towards helping in some way in the community. And then they get grant money. For example, uh, the church that I attend, I wrote some grants. We've started a garden and um, we got grant money to, to have the garden, to sign a shed, plants and we've got bids and getting the community involved. And so that is basically helping with our great commission of bringing people in because they see these collard greens and they see these beautiful uh, cabbages and all these other things and they, they come by. So the, the, the pathway that I see or that I've been utilizing for the churches that I work with is the community development corporation because they will give grants for that. So you have to of course show that, you know, your community is in need of these areas, education areas, the, all of these things. So does that take a different tax ID number? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Okay. So, and then you're basically forming a, a second nonprofit organization, correct? Correct. It is not a church so that you can get these funds. Right. You know, the board of directors is other people at the same church and, you know, the the same body of people still run it. So it's still a Christian run organization, but it's utilizing the funds that are really ours out there, the government that you've actually given them as individuals to come back in and minister to the community, minister to the children in the community and keep the money away from the insidious representatives of Satan that are known as the IRS. <laughs> so the, so the, the interface between the, what I find interesting organizationally is how, you know, forming this second organization that has a complete system, board members, volunteers, payouts, tax ID, all this stuff, um, how it would interface with your local congregation and what kind of enjoyable, I think, initial work that would be to try to make that kind of thing happen. I know someone here in the area in Rockford, one local congregation on the south side has done something like unto this for the sake of developing storefronts in the area. And they've done a beautiful job down there. Uh, really, really, I don't know if it's, uh, the wisdom is a different thing than whether it was it was valuably thought through and, and beautiful and then they have. But then I can also imagine that such a thing always means uh, a real parting. And this is the intention, I think, right? That that second organization eventually will be a very different organization than the church, and that you're you're really having to let go of the control and planting a an organization, expecting it to grow up and leave leave you behind, right? Um, and there's some value there, but what I, where I think all the the danger comes in is is where we we blur the lines between these things, and we see. I mean, you mentioned individual pastors having a slush fund. You know, in their congregation that maybe they've run for 25 years or whatever, and you know, half the people are related to them. Who knows how they get to that point? Um, but 
to to be very very aware then of all how all the funds that the congregation is receiving are funds that are to be taken a, uh, given a high priority and put into a a good use, which doesn't mean wasting it on excess, but neither does it mean wasting it on not paying for things like ha. How's this for a segue? Consulting. Having somebody come in and talk to you about these very issues and have you put in a good procedure. I don't know. Someone like Sherry. This wasn't meant to be a commercial, but mm-hmm. I'll throw it back at you there, Sherry. What would you do if you walked in the door and someone was asking, how do we as a congregation um, fix some of these issues? First of all, I do a, a check of what was going on. I do a questionnaire. I ask a lot of questions because you have to know the background of the church and what's going on, what's been going on, who's in charge. Do you have a board of directors? Uh do you have elders? All these things. I'd find out what was going on. And then I like to get to the root of the problem. The root of the problem is usually lack of or internal controls that are not uh, working. So internal controls will take care of all of this. Get the internal controls together. Who's in charge of the money? That's one of the largest things. Um, most of the churches that I deal with don't allow someone from the outside to work in the business office. Uh, policies and procedures. Do you have these in place? Are you going to have a church split because you don't have the proper policies and procedures in place and you let one person sell some jewelry in the in the gym after church and then, you know, five or six other people want to turn this into, you know, Jesus and the money changers, you know, those kinds of things. So you have to figure out the background of the church. And then from there, I can figure out where the problems are easily. Nathan, in terms of uh, your first phone call, who do you want calling you and asking you the question that you want them to ask you? Like who needs your help? I guess is the way I would ask that question. Quite a few people, I guess. Um, <laughs> the, the normal person who hires me uh, is getting nasty letters from IRS or has a guilty conscience because he hasn't filed in say 20 years. And he's afraid that he's going to get the nasty letter from IRS or worse that he'll wake up one morning about 6 a.m. because People are pounding on the door and he looks out the window and agents with drawn guns are surrounding his house, which um, actually happens to some clients. Yes, it does. Rare, but, but it does happen. Uh, but on the other hand, people who want to make sure that everything is in order and that they're not paying too much money. Um, there's no duty to pay more than your, quote, fair share, as it were. And why would we want to fund a government that you know, sends its money to murder children and other wonderful things that our government does. As good in some ways as a government is, it's still, as you noted, quite evil in many ways. And there's no duty to pay any more than you have to. And every dollar you give to IRS is a dollar you can't use, for instance, at the church. So I uh, I told you ahead of time that unfortunately this had to be a little bit short because of me not paying for Zoom's, you know, business plan, which is actually really expensive. Um, mm. So, so we've got a few minutes left. I want to make sure you don't get cut off. Uh, and where can people find you? Uh, should they want to follow up more? I already. We'll start with Nathan because he just finished, and I already mentioned, and then I mentioned it wrong, but he corrected me. Is beatirs.com. Is there anywhere else people can find you, Nathan? Are you on Twitter or anything like that? Yeah, I'm on Facebook, Nathan McPherson or Nathaniel McPherson. Uh, you and I are Facebook friends, so if they look on your friend list, um, and I'm also friends with Sherry on Facebook, but 1-800-BEAT-IRS, that's B-E-A-T-I-R-S, beatirs.com. Send an email to info at beatirs.com um, on 
Amazon, you can find my father's book, Tax Fraud and Evasion, The War Stories. It's an interesting book. Sherry, same question to you. Okay, for individuals, I have uh, my website is sherrypeeljackson.com, and that's peel like potato peel and orange peel and all that stuff they used to call me in elementary school, but that's sherrypeeljackson.com. And for the churches and my church wealth ministry health book, I have a website masteringchurchfinances.com, and that's my, it's developing, but at least it's up and running at this point. I do consultations with pastors, you know, for them to ask a few questions and see where they are and individual pastors to, to find out about themselves or their churches uh, if, if they see any problems, and then I can help them with that. All right. And uh, I'd like to do something a little silly at the end here. Uh, maybe silly, maybe not. We're going to go with, with Sherry first. Who, who is your favorite fictional antagonist, your favorite bad guy? Movie, book, doesn't matter. My favorite antagonist is Dr. Smith from Ooh. – Yes, from Lost in Space, because he, you know, they had such hopes and dreams and for the future, and he would always muck everything up. So Dr. Smith from Lost oh, in Space, goodness. and not the new one. I know there's a new one out there, but uh, I'm talking about the one when I was when I was a kid back in the 60s. Yeah, I've been watching the new one with two of my kids, and Dr. Smith is scary. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. Scary, scary. Uh, Nathan, so you get a counter with the hero. You got to, it's got to be, it's got to be fictional. Cannot be Bible hero. So your favorite hero to fight against Dr. Smith in a final mad Christian arena showdown who would it be sherlock holmes Ooh, that'd be a fun fight that'd be a fun fight indeed yes, I, I would yes. i would pay-per-view that all the way so uh sherry peel and nathan mcpherson thank you so much for hanging out with me today and doing this it's not so much an infomercial this is not insane this is what you as a christian need to think about if you're going to be a disciple you're going to have discipline in your life it means understanding your finances and if you care about your i'm going to make sure i say this right if you care about your hearth you want to make sure you care about your altar, too. Don't wallow in the muck, my friends. Rock on. There's more. Right, 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 right. No doubt the facts have been exaggerated. Yes. Namely, you know about the unstoppable force. That's the first thing to discourage Good warning. This ain't a safe space. Insanity. Like going. Yes, completely, utterly. If you're doing what everyone else is doing, you're doing it bad. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please? <laughs>